Our scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5, page 1184 in the Pew Bible, 1184, Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1 and reading 11 verses. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, today is a day of new beginnings. It's the first day of a new week, it's the first Sunday of a new year, and it's the day when we install and ordain new officers for the church. And so I've chosen to look at a passage that looks at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not the very beginning, but an important start where he gathers together his disciples, and they begin to follow him Uh, From day to day, they forsake everything and follow Jesus, a new chapter in their lives also. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to ask basically two questions. Why did they follow Jesus? And what is involved in following Jesus? And I'll see that the reasons why they follow Jesus are some of the very reasons why we ought to follow Jesus And the things that were involved for them in following Jesus are the things that are also involved for us. Why did they follow Jesus? Well, three things, first of all. They they followed him because they recognized him as master. They followed him because they recognized him as divine Lord. And they followed him because they recognized him as a merciful Savior. Now, how do we get all that from this passage? Well, first of all, they recognized him as master. Uh, We see that when Peter addresses him as such. Uh, Simon Peter answered and said to him, Master, 
Why would they call him master? Well, this isn't their first meeting with Jesus. Uh, Luke, uh, a few weeks ago, we look at Luke chapter 4, and I pointed out to you at that time that although the, the first incident that Luke tells us about the ministry of Jesus is his uh, preaching in Nazareth, uh, Luke mentions that Jesus had first gone to Galilee, and even the people in Nazareth are aware that Jesus has a prior Galilean ministry because they, they want Jesus to perform some of the miracles that they've already heard about him performing in other places. And so uh, uh, Luke passes over that and just mentions it, but doesn't tell us any of the details. And uh, we get some of the details in John's Gospel. John's Gospel tells us that when Jesus had a Galilean ministry, uh, he met Peter, James, and John. Uh, They met at the Jordan, where Jesus was baptized, and where John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And they spent a few days with Jesus, learning from him. And they came to recognize him as a master. That word master means teacher. Uh, In the other uh, gospel accounts in parallel passages where Luke uses master, the other gospel writers use teacher or rabbi. They recognize Jesus as a great teacher. Uh, Jesus' teaching was profound and uh, very impactful because uh, he uh, spoke as, uh, and taught as no one else taught. He taught as one having authority, and he, he taught with a clarity that they had never heard before with his parables that were designed to both reveal and conceal. Uh, they were amazed at his teaching. And uh, so they, they, they liked Jesus because they liked to sit at his feet. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you, you uh, come to someone and you say, you know, I could just sit here all day and, and learn from this person. I remember I had that experience as a college student. Uh, uh, the first time I went to the home of uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul when the Ligonier Valley Study Center was actually in Ligonier Valley, Pennsylvania. And uh, just a couple hours from... Uh, Grove City College, where I was a student. And uh, we went there on a a Friday night and uh, sat at his feet in his living room. Uh, The study center was his his house with a a large living room that could accommodate about 20 of us, I think, we were were there. And we we just drank deeply from his teaching all that night and then again the next day. uh, You just wanted to sit there and, and learn from him. Well... Jesus was even a greater teacher than R.C. Sproul and uh, was uh, a very captivating uh, teacher who uh, everyone found him compelling. That's one reason they followed him, but not the only reason and, and not the primary reason because they, at this point, they already know him as master. They had met him at the Jordan. They had spent some time with him. They had learned that he was a great teacher, but then they went back fishing. So this wasn't the primary reason why they followed Jesus. Something else happened on this incident. They began to see him in a new light, not just as a teacher, but as a divine Lord. How did that happen? Well, it happened through this miraculous catch of fish. It was an amazing thing. Uh, It's amazing, first of all, to hear Peter say, we we fished all night and we caught nothing. So I'm not going to do it, Jesus. (laughs) I know fishing better than you, right? Uh, I'm the fisherman. You're the teacher. You're, you're a religious expert. What do you know about fishing? Don't tell me to cast out. No, that's not how he responded. He had enough respect for Jesus at this point to say, it doesn't make sense to me, but because you said it, 
I'll do it. And oh, how we would all benefit if we would learn to take that attitude toward anything that we read in the Bible that becomes clear to us as the will of God for our lives, even though we don't understand it, because Jesus says it, we should do it. Well, he does it. He casts the net, and they have a miraculous catch of fish, breaking the nets, but uh, still able to fill two boats to the point of sinking. Nothing like that had ever happened. This was truly a great miracle, and they begin to see the divine glory of Jesus. Now, on what basis do I say they saw his divine glory? Why not just uh, a miracle worker, you know, Uh, an ordinary human? Well, because of Peter's response. He fell down before Jesus and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, that... That's the response of someone who sees God. Maybe you remember that from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision, a vision of God, of the Lord, seated on the throne. And I think it's John chapter 6. John tells us uh, that that Isaiah saw Jesus on the throne. And, uh, And what did Isaiah do? He fell down also and cried out, Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm a sinner, and I'm in the presence of a holy God, and and I'm finished, I'm done for. When anyone comes into the presence of the great and the glorious presence of God, the light of His glory reveals every single flaw so that even the most holy human being appears as a vile sinner in the presence of God. That's the experience that Peter has here. He sees divine glory, and because he sees divine glory, he is immediately aware of his own sin and his own unrighteousness and his own unworthiness to be in the presence. You know, who can dwell in the presence of the Most High? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, Peter knew, I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. Therefore, I don't deserve to be in the presence of this man who is not just a man, but divine. Peter and the disciples with him are all astonished and they all begin to see the glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so he humbles himself and he confesses his sinfulness and his unworthiness to be in the presence of Jesus who is divine. But then they learn a third thing. For Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What does that mean? Well, he's not contradicting Peter. He's not saying, oh, Peter, don't worry. You're not a sinner. It's okay. You're really a good person. Now, that's not what the words mean. It means, yes, you are a sinner, but don't be afraid. For I have big plans for you. I I, I, want to use you in my service. You are a sinner, but I'm going to transform you. I'm going to transform you from a sinner to a servant, a servant who can do great things and for my church and for my kingdom. And the only way that can happen is if Jesus is merciful and Jesus is forgiving. And so they not only know him as master, the great teacher, and now also know him as the divine Lord, but they begin to see he is a merciful Lord, a merciful Savior. He is kind. 
and forgiving, and one who will do something to transform them, to to take these sinners and, and put them to good work and use in His church, in His kingdom. And it's at that point that they're ready to leave everything and follow Jesus. But there's one other reason why they left everything, they forsook everything and followed Jesus. And it's not in our text, although it's in the context, the broader context of Scripture. Jesus commanded them to do it. You know, the the commandment to come, follow me, is found repeatedly in the New Testament. Jesus speaking to his disciples and speaking to us, if anyone would come after me, If anyone would be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus is his will. And they perceived that indeed Jesus was calling them now to follow him. They didn't just say, oh, you know, it would be a nice idea to follow him. No, they understood that this is what was involved. Because he was master, because he was their teacher, because he was their divine Lord, and because he was a forgiving Savior, They were compelled to obey Him and follow Him, as indeed we are compelled also when we recognize our sin and recognize that He is the only hope for our sins. We too must hear the call. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow Me. Now what's involved in following Jesus? Well, Three things that I would bring to your attention. One is self-sacrifice, leaving. Another way of saying self-sacrifice, that's one thing. Leaving, learning, and service. Leaving, learning, and service. They left everything. They forsook everything and followed Jesus. Now, don't get the idea that they acted irresponsibly here. They left their families, to be sure. These men, they were married, and uh, they probably had children. And up and leaving is going to upset the family and uh, deny them income. Did those men just leave their children to starve? No. There was this miraculous catch of fish, and uh, James and John, uh, his father Zebedee, was there. And he didn't forsake everything and follow Jesus. He stayed behind. He uh, supervised the sale of the fish, which would bring in a huge sum of money that would take care of these families for quite some time. And Jesus made Capernaum. I didn't mention that before, but he's in Capernaum here. Uh, Jesus would make Capernaum his home base so that he would come back here often for these men to visit their families. And so they, they did not act irresponsibly. But don't get the idea that it was easy. It certainly wasn't easy. This was very upsetting to their families. And you can well imagine their, their wives were a little concerned here. What's, what's going to happen now? You know, yeah, we have this fish now, but, but what about the future? About 20 years ago, my uh, wife got a phone call from a very tearful sobbing daughter who was very upset. Uh, Her husband had said to her, I'm going to quit my job. We're going to sell the house. I'm going to go to seminary. 
And, you know, her life just kind of fell apart. Not that, not that she was opposed to her husband being a minister, but the process of getting there meant everything was going to be upset. And when something like that happens, yeah, God turns your life upside down. My wife had some good advice for her. She said, there's only one thing you can do. Start packing. And uh, they did, and they took it one day at a time, and 20 years later, there are no regrets because they allowed God to upset their lives. Well, when you become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to uh, quit your job and sell your house and move to Pow Pow, New Guinea or to uh, Dyer, Indiana. But it does mean that you have to learn self-sacrifice. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, he sometimes puts you places where it's going to upset things and, and, and ruin the quiet of your life. You know, a lot of us are, are hoping that 2021 will not be like 2020. 2020 was a very unusual year, and we're all hoping that life gets back to normal. Well, I, I listened to... Uh, Reverend uh, Wallacord, one of the newer United Reformed ministers, I listened to his uh, uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day sermon, I can't remember which, uh, in which uh, he said, you know, normal for the Christian is not uh, coming home from work, having a relaxing dinner with your wife and uh, sending the kids off the bed and then uh, putting your feet up on the on the recliner and watching TV until bedtime and then having a nice night's sleep and then having a nice breakfast and, and then going off to an easy day's work again. That's, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is spiritual warfare, wrestling with spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. It, it means cross-bearing and self-denial. It means having to give up your evenings to go to elders' meeting and deacons' meeting and council meeting and home visiting and uh, all kinds of uh, research into diaconal causes and and bookkeeping and and, and looking after things in the church. It's hard work. It upsets the, the routine of family life. It means time away from the wife and children. But that's that's what following Jesus is all about. They left everything and followed Jesus. They sacrificed their home life. For Jesus, not in an irresponsible way, not entirely. And then over time, it it all worked out in a very beautiful and wonderful way. But there were hard days there. And there will be hard days for you as well. That's one thing, leaving, but also learning. Jesus is calling them to follow him for three years of discipleship training. Being a follower of Jesus Christ means being a learning. To be a disciple uh, means to be one who learns, who discovers, who finds out. That's what the word means. Uh, A disciple becomes like his teacher in that a disciple learns what his teacher knows and begins to understand as his teacher understands. And uh, Jesus told these disciples later on at the end of the three years, he says, Go make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. They had learned from Jesus. 
And now they're to go make disciples for Jesus. And making disciples for Jesus means passing on what you have learned. Paul writes to Timothy, And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so it goes from generation to generation that we are discipled, we learn, and then we pass on what we learn to those who are coming after us. We're called to be lifelong learners. Uh, being a, a disciple of Jesus Christ means uh, striving to attain maturity, and maturity is measured by the stature and measure of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. When you know as much as Christ knows, then you can stop learning. Uh, we're being renewed in the image of Christ in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. And uh, when you have as much knowledge and as much righteousness and as holiness as Jesus, then you're completely conformed to his image. And until then, you need to keep learning and keep striving and keep working. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There may be change of venue and change of the nature of service as time progresses, but there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. We are lifelong learners. But also, following Jesus is not just leaving and not just learning. Following Jesus is from now on, you will catch men. From now on, you will serve. Now on, you will use your gifts in the service of the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's the commandment. We're all commanded to do that. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all the way to Pella, Iowa. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my servants, building my church. We're not all called to baptize. We're not all called to preach. We're not all called to be elders. We're not all called to be deacons. But you have all received the Spirit of God. And each of you who have received the Spirit of God has been given gifts of the Spirit, gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. You can't do that far away from a distance. By keeping the congregation at arm's length, you have to uh, be involved. You have to be a living member of the body of Christ. Join and unite as a living member of Christ's body to be involved with other people day by day, week by week, year by year. That's the mission of the church, to build each other up and together reach out to the world around us. Serving Christ. They left everything and followed Jesus to learn from him and then to go and serve for him. That's God's calling to you. Today we ordain men to the offices of elder and deacon, offices which are essential to the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. You men are called today to follow Jesus by using your gifts. And the congregation is called to support you with their prayers and by submitting to your leadership. And as we do that together, God will be glorified in our midst and his name praised. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus performed this great miracle that revealed his divine glory 
and his compassionate nature, may our eyes be open to see that same divine glory and to know that he is a compassionate Savior for us. Make us ready also and willing from this day forth to no longer live for self, but to live for him who gave himself for us, to be willing to self-sacrifice, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him, to be lifelong learners and lifelong servants. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.